0: Hello and welcome to Double Stint at Le Mans, a special edition of Double Stint brought to you by Sports Car 365, bringing you daily coverage of all the action at the Circuit de la Sarthe, leading up to Sports Car Racing's greatest event, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 Editor-in-Chief, John de Geese who's been trackside at Le Mans this week. John, how was your very exciting day and very busy day down at the track? It
1: was pretty action-packed between um, Free Practice 3 and then a really interesting hyperpole session I'm sure we're going to dive right into.
0: Absolutely. Uh, We'll talk about practice for just a moment, but Hyperpole is the talk of the town today, and we'll certainly give you plenty of coverage there. This week is all about Le Mans, but you can still find recaps and news of everything happening in the sports car racing world at sportscar365.com. Today, as we said, we'll bring you a recap of practice and Hyperpole qualifying, take a look at some of the storylines and news we're following this week, and give you a preview of what's to come this week at Le Mans. So let's just briefly touch on practice. Practice two, the first night running we saw, Olivier Pla, uh, Romain Dumont and Pippo Rani set the pace in the Glickenhaus in the 708 in practice two and practice three uh the start was delayed due to some safety repairs and then we saw some late slow zones and, and red flags but at the end of the day it was kamui kobayashi again showing tremendous pace in the number seven toyota united autosports led in lmp2 uh, corvette led in the 64 and gte pro and in gtem it was the number 46 team project one porsche uh, who led the times there
1: the pair of Toyotas were definitely on pace in um, Free Practice 3. They both did quali sim runs very early on with Brendan Hartley and Kamui Kobayashi. Kobayashi ended up the quickest, but we saw a bit of a role reversal in uh, in HyperPole when it came down to the end of it.
0: Absolutely. And uh, let's dive right into HyperPole. What a session it was. If there are any doubts about the decently new format, hopefully this session puts those to bed because it was phenomenal. Uh, the Alpine, after a, a BOP adjustment in the last couple of days, has finally shown some pace. Nico Lapierre went straight to the top and was floating around uh, at the top for a minute. Uh, at some point, four of the five hypercars were at the top of the timing sheet. Track limits played a huge factor. Ryan Briscoe was at the top for of uh, the blink of an eye. And the real battle, though, was between Kamui Kobayashi, who has been the Le Mans qualifying master, uh, and Brendan Hartley. And John, is it okay to out-qualify your boss? Because at the end, that's what happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't think of that until now. Very good point. Obviously, Kamui's in his new role this year as driver and team boss for the WEC program, and uh, Brendan got it done. Um, lots of factors that played into things. First, one of Kamui's um, lap times was disallowed for for track limits, and then it was reinstated. Um, the the Glickenhaus lost some t- uh, lost a lap with um, with Ryan Briscoe at one point. Um, then we saw, as you said, Nico Lapierre put up a eight five zero. and I think for a, a stretch of time, I think people thought that was going to be good enough for pole. Until um, the final last lap um, between the two Toyotas, they were caught in traffic. Hartley was able to put together a three twenty four four zero eight to put the number eight Toyota on pole, breaking Kobayashi's streak. He was going for five. Poles um, at LMPA, and um, quite remarkable to see it. Um, Brendan get it done. Typically, what we've seen in qualifying or hyperpole in previous years is that Toyota's two um, Japanese drivers would typically handle qualifying duties. Um, Brendan had this for the first time after Nakajima retired from racing, and Rio Hirakawa didn't have as much experience um, at LMPA, and it was ultimately a decision by the team bosses at Toyota to put Brendan in the car and, um, he's been qualifying quite a bit in WEC races earlier this year, but, um, still a really, really exciting hyper uh, pole and first poll of the WEC season for Toyota, believe it or not.
0: Yeah, it has been an up and down season for Toyota. It's been an up and down season for the eight car and uh, Brendan Hartley actually kind of came into today. On the back foot, they had limited running. They had an electronics issue in practice three that cut down their runtime. but he just put his head down and got to work. He, he knocked out some great laps in practice and just kind of built up. It looked like he wasn't taking a ton of risk uh, until qualifying, and, and even the, the liberties he did take seemed calculated. He didn't get hit too, too badly with the track limit stuff. We know Ryan Briscoe, as we said, he had a lap time deleted. LaPierre had a lap time deleted. He was at the top of the times, then he wasn't, then he was back to the top, then he wasn't again. So uh, we know that was a huge point of emphasis because in the qualifying session, uh, 48 drivers, uh, and remind you, this is a field of 62 cars, had times deleted. That's a total of 83 laps in a one-hour session. So they, were, they brought the hammer down on, on track limits, uh, it certainly played a factor.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think you know the, everybody's going all out for this this kind of session. And you know, I'm I was never really a huge fan of hyperpole, and but I'm I'm starting to like it after seeing today's um, shootout. I, I I think it's a really I think it's a, an interesting format, and um, certainly um, seeing what the what the excitement brought at the Circuit de la Sarthe in the especially in the closing ten minutes, was was quite remarkable.
0: Absolutely. It seems to kind of be the general consensus, a little bit of apprehension when this new format comes out, separating, you know, qualifying and then a top six in each class going to a hyper poll. Uh, But with an exciting session like that, I certainly would not mind seeing that again next year.
1: No, not at all. This was the third year they had it, I I believe, and uh, it seems like it's getting better year after year.
0: Let's move on to talking about some of the other classes. Robin Freins, who's really had a tremendous week already in the the number 31 WRT, posted a 3-minute 28-second Point three nine four lap time uh, to give himself and his teammate a WRT one two at the top of LMP two after hyper Corvette it was a one two Nick Tandy leading the charge though two tenths up on Antonio Garcia a three forty nine point nine so dipping below the three fifties that he's been posting all week uh, we saw fist pump in the car he knew it was a good lap uh, and Nick Tandy's just one of those drivers who's always at ten tenths uh, the whole time very exciting to watch uh, and in GTE am the number sixty one AF Corsa uh, Vincent. Abril with kind of a surprise hyperpole to lead the class there.
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting to see the different dichotomies between GTE AM and GTE Pro. The Ferrari seem to be a little bit in better shape in AM, at least brills, um of course the uh, uh, Ferrari but um, in pro, like you said, it was Corvette, and they've been atop the time charts all week long, pretty much. I spoke to Laura Wontrup clauser the GM Sports Car Racing Program Manager, before Hyperpole um, to actually talk a little bit about the Cadillac news that we had today, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit. But um, she seemed pretty bullish, um, very confident, really credited Corvette's um, experience in the WEC and all of their experience from last year's race with the C8R debut here. Um, for really getting them up to speed so quickly and being so strong some rumors in the paddock though that there could be a BOP change we don't know um, anything just yet I'm not sure what class it is we've had as you mentioned Jonathan already one today with the Alpine getting a a slight power increase and that was definitely put to Nicolas Pierre's benefit in in qualifying um, uh, with with that uh, car ending up third in overall on the grid for the race but um, all in all, I, I think it was a really entertaining session and and another um, great addition to the to the race.
0: Yeah, and we, we saw how big of an adjustment that BOP change made for the Alpine. I mean, for the, the grandfathered LMP1 car, th- this weekend turned into a, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks situation to, after qualifying, a respect your elders scenario. Uh, really, really going to be interesting to see what they can do over race distance tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a bit difficult with the, with the grandfathered Alpine, one and even the Glickenhaus to obviously match Toyota's pace, um, not only outright pace, but um, stint length. That's going to really catch up to them. Um, I, I think that the Alpine is going to be a one, at least one lap down on stint length compared to Toyota. So um, that's definitely not going to be to their benefit. That means they're going to have to make at least two or three more stops probably in the race if everything plays out the way it does. But then again, we've seen some reliability issues from Toyota so far this week. Um, Like you said earlier, uh, electrical issue for the eight car that spent quite a bit of time in the garage. Um, They had some issues yesterday as well. So and just looking back at what happened at at Spa and Sebring, um, you can't take anything for granted. And that's why you have a, a race like this to really test, you know, man and
0: machine. Absolutely, and the Toyotas are are no stranger to late race drama in terms of reliability, so you never know what can happen. It is a full day of running, and, you know, it's kind of the old saying in racing, to finish first, first you have to finish.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with you for sure.
0: Let's move on to talking about some of the news of the week, and remember, you can find full recaps and updates of everything happening in the sports car racing world on sportscar365.com. Well, the breaking news uh, that just broke kind of shortly before we're recording this episode is Cadillac has released renders of their LMDH car. Boy, it is a thing of beauty. They've also announced uh, it's going to be powered by a 5.5 liter dual overhead cam V8 that's paired to the spec hybrid unit in that Delara chassis. Same displacement as the DPI engine, but this is, this is really neat to get a first real glimpse uh, at the Cadillac LMDH.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because we've seen two different Dallara-based LMDHs revealed in the last couple of days, first the BMW um, uh, earlier in the week and now the Cadillac and they're quite different from each other. So um, I spoke, like I said, I spoke to Laura Wontrop-Clauser, who heads up the, the program here at Cadillac, as well as Corvette, and she said that what we saw today with the, with the renders of this car, it's pretty close to what the final product will likely be. I asked her for some particulars, like there's no wing mirrors, what about the rear wing? And she says, yeah, some things may change, obviously with homologation and everything that's required on that car, but um, certainly the idea is to keep it as close to what we see today um, with these renders. The the first chassis is already um, stateside. It's going to be testing later this month, hopefully. Um, she wouldn't outright confirm this month. I've heard from some sources that it would be. Um, she said sometime in the summer. And I said, well, I've heard later this month. And she says, well, do you consider June to be summer? And I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> and she said, good. So that. that I think that's an indication that we'll probably be seeing it later this month, somewhere in the U.S. being shaken down. They have an intensive uh, testing program planned. Um, Interestingly enough, with other manufacturers, too, we understand they'll be sharing the track with Porsche and potentially BMW as well and Acura once they get up and running. So um, really interesting times for, you know, obviously the LMDH era. We still don't have a name for this car. It was unveiled as the Project GTP Hypercar. Um, the the final name will be announced at a later date and as you mentioned about the engine it's interesting to note that it's an all new 5.5 liter uh, dual overhead cam power plant it is not like anything similar to what we had with the dpi obviously same displacement and you would think it would be similar and have some some lineage and and laura said it no if you put them to the two next to each other You would barely be able to recognize it outside of the architecture. So um, ECR engines um, tuned the previous uh, power plants. Now these are being taken internally within GM at a a sister supplier um, that works on the Corvette engines and on the C8R. So interesting to see how GM's been sort of taking this project more and more in-house. And I think that really shows the level of commitment they've taken with this LMDh program that's going to be competing not only full time in the WeatherTech Championship but also in the World Endurance Championship but with one car there and two in the in the WeatherTech Championship
0: and you mentioned that all-new engine, and what a contrast that is, because earlier this week, we saw BMW, uh, and they've announced previously that they're kind of carrying over that P66 DTM engine. Yes, they're you know molding a new engine block, putting in better components and things like that, but uh, Cadillac is, is starting with a fresh sheet of paper, uh, and we know how powerful that DPI engine is, and even though it won't be based on it, they know a thing or two about putting together a good power plant.
1: Yeah, and, and, and Laura even made a mention that they, they could have gone with the Trident Trusted plan with what they had with the with the previous DPI engine, they, she acknowledged that other manufacturers have done similar things by, you know, having a, a, an older engine, perhaps, um, power the LMDH car, but they've decided to have to start over and make the right engine, as she said, Um, so they really chose that option and had that always planned all along.
0: And you mentioned the looks of the car and how that might translate over. Uh, we saw this with the Peugeot, who we'll talk about in just a second here. The renders looked fairly similar, actually, to what we saw on track. Yes, there were some aero changes and you know things like that for homologation, but it was kind of cool to see that that really unique wingless design did, in fact, carry over with many of the design elements to the actual car that we're going to see on track next month at Monza.
1: Yeah, it's a little different with LMH and LMDH because... LMDH has a little bit of a tighter set of regulations in terms of aero, um, LMH has a little bit more freedom and as you said the, the wingless design of the Peugeot is really cool and I think it adds a lot of a really unique element. Um, the rear wing on this Cadillac is a lot different than what we've seen traditionally on a DPI or LMV2 or anything like that and um, that's what caught my eye the most on this design that was revealed here um, on Thursday. So. Um, We'll have to wait and see what happens. I have a sneaky suspicion that there may be some changes before the final product, but um, still, I I think this is going to definitely look like a a Cadillac, and it's a great um, revolution, I think, on to what the the DPI V.R was on on the the Cadillac's um, DPI model.
0: Well, we're certainly interested to see that on track, and we talked about the Peugeot. They have announced their driver pairings for the six hours of Monza, the two cars they'll be bringing, numbered 93 and 94. In the 93, it's Paul DiResta, Mikhail Jensen, and jean eric Verne. In the 94, it's James Rossiter, Gustavo Menezes, and Loic Duval.
1: Yeah, um, no huge surprises there, um, but it, it was always going to be determined what it was going to be those six drivers. Rossiter effectively replaces um, Kevin Magnuson, who's obviously gone back to F1. The car that was unveiled at Aragon last month um, when they uh, officially announced that they'll be making their debut at Monza had the names of Rossiter, Duval, and Diresta. Um, That's not the combination um, that will be racing at Monza. So they've obviously gone through perhaps a little bit of a change in the, in the lineup there. But um, no word if this is going to be the same lineup for the rest of the year. We don't know the status of Rossiter. Um, he was basically announced as their test and development driver and simulator driver um, for this program. And um, they haven't, Pujo hasn't officially stated if Rossiter is actually replacing Magnuson in a full-time role or not. So we'll have to stay tuned. But at least we do have the driver lineups confirmed for um, the much anticipated LMH car.
0: And we're certainly excited to see what the Peugeot 9x8 will bring uh, at the six hours of Monza in one month's time. Our other news item, Toyota has announced and confirmed it will not compete in IMSA. It will stay in the World Endurance Championship. It had previously expressed some interest in uh, North America's premier sports car racing championship, but it has, in fact, ruled out a full season entry as well as competing in maybe standalone races like Daytona, Uh, although they are kind of hoping for more U.S. involvement in the World Endurance Championship schedule, and this is something we've covered in previous shows, but they kind of sealed the deal on this one.
1: Yeah, there was I think some hope and and some optimism that they would at least maybe show up for Daytona and maybe do a couple other long distance endurance races. I know when the whole convergence was was being discussed and 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 the the prospect of seeing a Le Mans hypercar race in the United States in IMSA in the WeatherTech Championship, there was always this hope and and, and prospect that Toyota could be there, um, not on not necessarily a full season. I, I think if there was any potential of a full season, probably would have come under the Lexus badging um, due to uh, the focus of the the Lexus brand in in North America, but um, at least maybe for Daytona or something. And and unfortunately, that's not the case, at least for 2023. um, I spoke to um, Toyota Gazoo Racing Team Director Rob Loypen, who confirmed this to us today. Um, Dan Lloyd spoke to Technical Director uh, Pascal Vassilon, and he also conversely confirmed the same thing. No plans right now. For the time being, Toyota's in a little bit of an interesting situation because there's been some media reports stating that they could debut a brand new car next year. Both men declined to comment on that speculation right now. Um, we're hearing that maybe it could be more of an evolution of the GR010 um, hybrid, similar to what we saw the offseason changes from last year to this year, um, where they had some some changes in the tire size and other developments in, on the aero. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, like you said, the big news is that they won't be in, entering any Weather Tech Championship races at all. At least right now, that's the plan. That's the plan not to. Um, if they were to, um, it actually is quite a big a bit of an endeavor. Um, the car would have to go through the wind shear wind tunnel in North Carolina, it would have to be certified by IMSA to race in the Weather Tech Championship. It would also have to um, take part in the end of year um, homologation um, open testing for the LMDH cars as well at Daytona in December. So there's a lot of commitments that a manufacturer would have to do, an LMH manufacturer would have to commit in order to be on the grid in, in January 2023. And given that this is just the beginning of convergence starting in 23, I, I think that it's it's definitely a little bit early. Um, Ferrari's ruled it out already for Daytona. Um, I guess Peugeot still could do something under maybe a different branding, um, Dodge or, or something of the like um, under, under the Stellantis group, but um, still no word on that front. So a little bit of a disappointing news because you know we're going to see convergence between the two platforms, LMH and LMDH in the hypercar class in the WEC, but as as for the time being, it doesn't look like we'll see that in IMSA. Um, It looks like it'll just be LMDh cars, at least for the foreseeable future in 23.
0: Let's move into answering a listener question before we preview what's coming up this week. In our previous episode's comment section, Chris asked, for the 2024 24 Hours of Le Mans, will there be or do you see a fourth class besides the hypercars, LMP2, and GT3 coming into play?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I don't think we will see a fourth class. Um, There could be a caveat to that because the hydrogen class, I think, is scheduled to debut in 24, but we haven't really heard much about it. We'll get more solid information tomorrow during the ACO press conference. Um, They'll be unveiling some details about the future of LMP2 and most importantly, the GT path. For the future um, in starting in 2024 we know that it'll be gt3 based um, based on what my sources have been saying where it's most likely going to be very similar to what gt3 is today very few modifications and that'll be a pro-am enforced class it won't be two classes like we see today with gte pro and gt am it'll just be a pro-am single class so that basically means three categories between hypercar lmp2 and GT, whatever that'll be named, I think we probably should get a name to that tomorrow. Hopefully maybe it's just called GT. That'll make things a lot simpler, but um, you never know. So as of now, I, I, I wouldn't expect a fourth class in 24. Um, certainly, I don't wouldn't expect LMP3 or anything like that um, to, to come to Lama, but um, who knows, you know, we are always thrown some surprises sometimes at these press conferences and then when the announcements are made. So um, you never know what could be around the corner.
0: And we're expecting an update to the LMP2s as well. So that'll be interesting. The second part of the question asks, how do you see or guess the balance in terms of number of teams across these categories for the 24 hours? And this is an interesting one, because we know with so much manufacturer interest, the hypercar class is going to grow way beyond what it is now. And that may actually help kind of balance out the number of cars on the grid.
1: Yeah, I was having this conversation with Dan Lloyd just a few hours ago, actually, and we were talking about how there's a lot of LMP2s on the grid, 27 this year, and all but one are Orica's, and again, that's not to take away from what has achieved, and, and they're obviously the, the car of choice, they have been for many years in LMP2, um, but looking towards the future, um, hopefully, there's going to be some more uh, diversity in LMP2 once the new regulations come into play in 2025. And I, I think, like you said, I, I think we will see a more balanced grid even starting next year because there's going to be more hypercar class entries between the LMDHs and the Le Mans hypercars LMHs on the grid. You're going to have Peugeot joining um, Porsche. Um, Ferrari, with Ferrari within LMH, um, Cadillac, then possibly in 24 you'd have Acura, Lamborghinis will be joining in 24, Alpine will be on the grid in 24. So all of a sudden you're counting double digits in the top class. Um, I think we'll probably be seeing close to 11 or 12 cars fighting it out for overall honors in the hypercar class next year. And that's just going to grow even more in 2024. So that's definitely going to take away from the LMP2 field. I think the GT classes, um, whatever it ends up being next year, if we do have GTE Pro continuing for one final year, or this could be the final year for GTE Pro, we'll find out tomorrow. Um, I I think it'll be more or less the same composition. Um, The ACO typically likes to keep 50-50 between prototypes and production-based cars, And especially going into 2024, we'll probably be seeing a large amount of GT3 cars just because there's so many of those out there and so many teams and drivers and manufacturers wanting to be part of Le Mans.
0: That's a great point. And remember, if you have any Le Mans related questions, be sure to post them in the comments section of this episode or take to Twitter and post it using the hashtag AskDoubleStint. And we'll answer them tomorrow during our final special edition of Double Stint at Le Mans episode. Don't worry, though, if you have a non-Le Mans related question, we will still answer it on our regularly scheduled episode on Monday next week. Let's give you a quick preview of what's coming up in the rest of the week. Practice four will take place this evening in France, 10 p.m. local time. It's a shorter two-hour session and one final chance for everybody to get in their mandatory night laps. We know there's a lot of rookies on the grid, so that will be important. uh, And still some teams with quite a bit of repair work to do. Uh, And after that, after the warm-up, it is the 90th running of the 24 hours of Le Mans. Uh, Warm-up will take place at 10.30 a.m. local time and a 4 p.m. local time green flag for the 24 hours.
1: Yeah, so we have night practice coming up um, as we're recording this just uh, about a half an hour away. Um, Final practice for in in length total Um, warm up, like you said, is just going to be really shaking things down on Saturday morning. Friday is always traditionally a a time where there's no track action for the cars taking place, taking part in the 24 hours. There's gonna be plenty of support series races and everything. Um, We have the parade going through downtown Le Mans, um, pit walk for fans, there's plenty of action. And then from our side, there's always gonna be plenty of action covering the announcements that go on over the course of Friday. Um, Primarily, like I said, the ACO press conference at 11 a.m. CET time um, be sure to check SportsCar 365 shortly after for all of the details from what's announced um, from the ACO. And I'm sure there's like always going to be plenty to talk about.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we're getting closer and closer to the running of the 24 hours. Stay tuned to SportsCar 365 to catch all the updates there. That's it for us on today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For John Geese, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here tomorrow as we bring you more action and updates from the Circuit de la Sarthe for another special edition of Double Stint at Le Mans.